Yes, let's just stay in that silence and just consider him. He's so worthy. Lord, we say amen and amen to those beautiful words we have just sung. You are beautiful beyond description and beyond our understanding to grasp the wonder of who you are. You live in unapproachable light, majesty and holiness, and yet you bend down to listen to us when we come to you in prayer. As a father bends down to pay special attention to a small child, Father, we are so grateful that you do not treat us as our sins deserve and we ask your forgiveness now for the wrong things we've thought, said and done this week, for the things we knew we should do but didn't. And we remember that although Jesus died for our sins and our salvation is complete, we still have to grow in righteousness and we fail miserably a lot of the time. We thank you that Jesus is alive today and he is our high priest in heaven. We know he is always praying for us to resist temptation, to grow in wisdom and maturity, to stand firm in our faith and obedience to you. Thank you that he constantly prays for us in order to make his work on the cross complete. He hasn't just saved us and waved us goodbye until we meet in heaven. He wants to help us get there because he knows what it is like to be tempted by sin every day, but without giving in to it. He is the only one who can help us because he knows exactly how we feel. We thank you, Jesus, that you never turn away from us when we sin, but come alongside us, put your arm around us and encourage us, never condoning our sin but always helping us to overcome and grow through it. And we are convicted when we realise that even, you do, even though you do that for us, we still sin. We do not have it all together. And we would not be able to stand in your holy presence, Father, but for Jesus also being active as our advocate before you. Something like a lawyer who accompanies a person to appear before the judge, but so much more than that. He will speak to you on our behalf about the specific sins we do commit and which could keep us forever from your presence. He takes the focus off our sin and onto his righteousness. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit who also prays for us. It is so comforting to know that he prays for us in accordance with your good and perfect will. And we need this because many of our prayers are in accordance with our not-so-good and imperfect will for ourselves and those we pray for. Thank you that we never experience separation from you, Father, because that is what Jesus endured on the cross in our place. Thank you that the more we confess our weakness and inability to change, when we truly realise that without you we are nothing, the more your power is at work in us to perfect us and change us from one degree of glory to another. Thank you for your patience with us, that we can be certain that you will continue the good work you began in us 
until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus returns. Dear Father, what a saviour we have in your Son. We do stand in quiet awe as we contemplate the depth of your love for us and what you have done to make sure we will be with you in heaven. You have thought of everything we will need to live a godly life. Help us not to take it for granted or forget how much help is available to us. We are never alone and we especially thank you that the reason we can approach your throne of grace with confidence, Father, and find help in time of need is because Jesus is always there with us. We are so grateful. Amen. Thank you, Carol, for the beautiful prayer. In fact, uh, it's often the way, isn't it? Their opening song was pinching the words. The, uh, the kids' song with Sam was just so good. Uh, and I really probably don't need to speak, actually. I just might sit down. But I've, uh, I want to speak on amnesia. So I guess, I think we better get this over, haven't we? Um, so have you got some comments? I expect Alan Ripberger will have a comment uh, about amnesia. Yes, I have got my notes. I've, uh, I've got a clean handkerchief, clean underwear. Um, I actually know what I'm going to talk about. Uh, anybody else want to just have a go so we can just get this out of the way about amnesia? Forgot. You forgot. Good. That's it. That's enough. All right. Let's get on with it. Uh, but it's really what Carol was praying in the beginning of her prayer. We forget so much, don't we? There's so much of God's goodness and we forget. So um, amnesia perhaps is not quite the right word here as it implies a sort of loss of memory through disease or brain damage. But it is a condition that we all suffer with from time to time as being prayed, but not necessarily through illness or accident. It's a bit like domestic deafness when we filter out things that we don't want to hear or remember. And we all know a certain group of people who are renowned for saying, I don't remember that. Hmm, I don't recall that. You know who I'm talking about. So, so much of our Christian journey is about being reminded of God's goodness, his faithfulness, whose, whose children we are, and what has been achieved for us now and promised in the future. The communion service, especially for believers, is one such time when Jesus calls us to remember him, what his death and resurrection achieved. We are to remember the importance of coming together regularly. Good morning, those online. We remember the importance of coming together regularly. Uh, some of you won't understand, but uh, uh, anyway, just a little. <clears throat> to be reminded of what God says in the Holy Scriptures and to love, encourage and support one another in community. I would like to first to visit a couple of biblical stories about David involving amnesia and finishing with an area of forgetfulness that we all suffer with from time to time. So, uh, David, if you'd be kind enough to throw up the... the I'm going to put in three easy headings so we can remember it. Amnesia. Past, present and future. Could we just pop up the picture now of our wonderful David and Goliath? <laughs> You recognise these people? <laughs> Isn't that a great picture? Yeah. Well, the first is a well-known story in the time of Israel's history. And you say, oh, no, he's not going to preach on David and Goliath. Well, a little bit. At times, we all have giants in our lives. 
But at this particular moment in time, it was a literal giant. A man was three metres tall. That's nine feet. That's as tall as Kewen, standing on a chair. It's, uh, it's absolutely magnificent. And Max is a really good David. Is just a little slim guy that's, uh, yeah. Okay, he was terrorising the Israeli army. Most of you know the story well. If you don't, it's found in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 17. Uh, I just want to draw out a couple of points from this. We see here that the Israelites had a bout of amnesia and had forgotten who they represented and whose army they actually were. David has no such memory loss. He goes to King Saul and tells him he will go and sort out the blaspheming giant. He's offered armour, but not only it doesn't fit him, it hampers him. He tells King Saul that God, uh, God was his armour who'd protected him in times past when he'd worked as a shepherd for his father. And he tells the story, he says that when a lion or a bear would come and, and snatch one of the sheep, he would chase after it and he would grab the, the, the sheep from the jaws of the beast. And if the beast turned on him, he said he would punch him out. Uh, he said he would slay him and uh, you know, God rescued him. So he had great experience of God's, God's protection. So he says, I'm going to do the same thing with this particular giant who is defying the armies of the living God. The Philistine, seeing the young lad running towards him with his shepherd's crook, shouts down at him, Am I a dog that you come to me with a stick? And curses David by his Philistine gods and threatens to feed David's flesh to the birds. Listen to the language. When David replies with these glorious words, and uh, David, if we could have that, uh, uh, the text here. You come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the vultures and wild beasts, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those who gather here will know that it is not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Ah, super fighting words. I just... <laughs> okay. The rest, as we say, is history. You know the end of the story. So point one is that history informs us. We sing that song, uh, the battle belongs to you. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh, God, the battle belongs to you. Every fear I lay out at your feet, I'll sing through the night and worry for the rest of it. No. Oh, God, the battle belongs to you. It's a great you know, thing to remind ourselves. You know, we all, we all have different giants that can intimidate us. We've got them all sitting amongst us today, all different giants, health things, financial issues, relationships issues, many giants. But the example of David here is to remind us not to look at the size of the problem, but to look at the might and the size and the power of our God. We're encouraged to turn our eyes on God and not to forget who we belong to, or his promises. King Hezekiah, later on in the Bible narrative, is also facing a huge army which is coming to smash him up. He says these wonderful words. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. 
The Bible and our lives are full of stories of God's intervention. It does not pay to ridicule or mock God as Delilah did. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So the first point is history or the past informs us. The second point is present reality. When we get comfortable, we get forgetful. Pastor Sam told us last week how trouble stirs us up from our comfort zone. Trouble can be, can, uh, suffering can cause us to grow and mature. Even Jesus himself learned obedience by the things that he suffered. So let's fast forward uh, several years. Uh, David has now been made king and is a very successful theocratic leader, a king under God, under God's direction. He subdues his enemies from uh, the border of uh, the Euphrates, uh, that's probably, um, uh, sorry, border of Egypt to the Euphrates. And if we've got that um, map there, it just gives you a, a rough idea. That's the 12 tribes a little bit more later, but uh, David conquers a bit more. There's some, there's some fringe um, uh, fights going on, particularly with the Philistines and some of the, the bordering things. But basically the, the, the land that was conquered uh, by the 12 tribe, David, David is overseeing. He reunites the, um, the, the two kingdoms uh, from his, um, uh, sorry, from his uh, base in Jerusalem. It's a time of relative ease and comfort with, with most of this area uh, subdued. But we pick up the story in uh, chapter 11 of 2 Samuel and verse 1, and David, sorry, I'm making you work hard this morning. Uh, the, this, is the, this is the reading from uh, uh, chapter 11, 2 Samuel. In the spring, at the time when the kings go off to war. Now, that's what they did in those days. In the spring, kings went off to war. We go off to footy. You know, it's autumn. Ah, we'll go off to, to, to war in, the, in footy. But that was what they did. That was, that was the culture of the day. Um, it was spring, time to go to war. And... Uh, but read, read on, it says, and so David said, Joab, sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole of the Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Where should he have been? This is where the trouble begins. After such a good and successful king, being such a good and successful king, amnesia sets in. He forgets what his proper calling is, to lead the people under God and starts to sit back and indulge himself. Well, as the saying goes, the devil soon finds work for idle hands. And sure enough, David is sitting up in his rooftop penthouse having his evening gin and tonic, or whatever kings did in those days, and he spies the beautiful Bathsheba, who is taking a bath on the roof outside below him. Consumed with her beauty, he sends a servant to fetch her. Now note, David already had two, two wives, but you know when you're summoned by the king, it's a little bit hard to refuse. He finds out when she comes that her husband was away with the army and he seduces her. After their tryst, Bathsheba finds that she's pregnant and advises King David. He tries to cover his adultery and her pregnancy by calling Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, back from the fighting on the pretext of getting news about the battle. 
He hopes that Uriah will sleep with his wife and thus the fatherhood of the child could be put down to him. However, Uriah is a very honourable man and he refuses to go home. And actually, David tries all sorts of things to, to get him to go home. He feeds him a drink. But Uriah lies down at the, at the doorway of David. He refuses to go home and eventually he goes back to the battlefield. Well, David's desperate. He arranges then for Uriah to be overrun by the enemy and he orders his troops to abandon Uriah at a critical point of the battle, tells him to withdraw and leave him out the front. So he's killed by the enemy but is effectively murdered by King David's instructions. One mislead, misdeed leads to another. After appropriate time of mourning for Uriah, David marries Bathsheba and she gives birth to a son. However, the consequences of his actions do not simply go away. Well, we know that, don't we? We try and hide things, we tell more lies, tell lies to tell, cover lies. And although God can and does forgive our wrong actions, there is still collateral damage. We reap what we sow. God sends the prophet Nathan to confront David and exposes his sin. And this is a fabulous story and I'm not going to go into the date. Read it yourself in chapter 12. Nathan points out to David and uh, uh, he does it in such, 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 such a quiet way. The son of their relationship is struck down by illness and despite David's remorse, his weeping, his fasting and pleading with God, the child dies. The second point is that we forget why we are here and what we're here for in the present. And we soon, if we get distracted, we soon lose our way. This can lead to unforeseen circumstances, as we've seen with David, and the loss of dignity of being a son or a daughter of God. Do you or I bring shame to our king? Isn't it a loss of dignity when we slip off the path? We bring shame to our king. The scripture is full of these answers, and in Paul in Corinthians, writing to the Corinthians says, these examples, these and many others, are written down as warnings to us who live in the final days of time. And this is not eschatology or end times theology, but for you and I, all of us sitting here under the sound of my voice, are in the final days of time. Now, that's reality, isn't it? You might live your three score years and ten or a hundred years or whatever God gives you. But for you, you are living in your final days of time. This leads to the third area of amnesia. Amnesia. So I can't even say the word. We tend, we tend to forget the future and the truth of resurrection, judgment and real life after death. So after the child dies... David gets off the floor, he smartens himself up and he goes and he goes to worship the Lord. His attendants are surprised by his sudden change of manner. He tells them, and they say, well, what's happening? Why, why are you doing this? What's going on? And he says, well, when the child was alive, I fasted and wept in the hope that the Lord would be gracious to me and let the child live. But now he's died, why should I go on? fasting and he says can I bring him back again then David goes on to say but I will go to him but he will not return to me now some commentators say that this refers to the fact that David will eventually 
join his son in a grave, which of course is true. But in Psalm 116, written by David, he is prophesying the future. And these words have a much deeper meaning about resurrected life. So David is here prophetically writing about Jesus. And David, if we can have the Psalm 116, I saw the Lord before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One decay, see decay. For you have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. So here's David. We're writing a psalm, but he's actually speaking of the future of Jesus. So Jesus here, through David, is talking about his own resurrection and not decaying in the grave. And it's just what we've celebrated at Easter. Interesting, this psalm is also quoted by both Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 and Paul in Acts 13.33 at Poseidon Antioch. Peter, speaking on this day of Pentecost, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidentially that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here today. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, and this comes from Psalm 110, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So you can see that from these promises, they speak of one who lives forever. And that one is Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah. So number three is this, the future, the, the third area of uh, amnesia. And particularly in the uh, church, the Western church of today, we've somehow lost or the impact of the resurrection, the second coming of Christ in eternity. Now, when I came to know Jesus in the 70s, had a, a real encounter with Christ. The great emphasis uh, in those days, the teaching was all about the imminent return of Christ. And it was almost, he's going to come today, he's going to come today. It was almost, he was going to pack bags. It was a, an incredible, the teaching was all around, Jesus is about to come, Jesus is about to come. Well, I just met the lovely Bev and uh, I wanted to marry her. And so I said to the Lord, as you do, um, excuse me, Lord, would... Um, would you mind just not coming back for a, 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 a little time so I can marry and be together with my wife? Well, yeah, anyway. <laughs> it's all a bit silly because no one knows the date or the hour except the father. Nowadays, fewer people teach on the second coming and I think maybe it's because so many have made unwise predictions which have not been fulfilled. But every generation including the first century Christians, have expected Christ to return in their lifetime. You read through history, they're all waiting for Jesus. There's always different people to come. The man of sin is going to be this person. This is going to happen. That's going to happen. Every generation. However, we, what we do know for sure is that he will return 
but it may not be in our natural lifetime. Despite what seems to be happening in world events today, yes, the second coming of Christ is closer, but it may not yet be for some time. We will all die and we'll all be resurrected to face our maker. And in the future we'll be judged for what we've done in this life. You may forget, but God doesn't. King David clearly understood eternal life and spoke about it at the end of, we all know the end of Psalm 23, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. And David knew, he had an insight, didn't he? But we tend sometimes to lose sight of eternity and potentially going to be with God forever in his kingdom. Think about this for an example. We often quote Paul in his letter to the Corinthian church when he explains the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, that whenever we eat the bread and drink the wine as symbols of the body and blood of Christ Jesus given for us, we do this in remembrance of him. But sometimes we omit the next words. In doing this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. No, we don't always say that, do we? Augustine later called it the Paschal Mystery. It is celebrated at every Eucharist. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. So what is this eternal kingdom? How do we gain access to it? On Mount Athos in Greece, and a friend of ours had been and visited it and told her about it, uh, Mount Athos is a, is a peninsula um, and, and in Greece and it's a home of prayer and devotion for God for centuries as holy people have been living there for hundreds of years. One finds this inscription, uh, inscription over the door of one of the monasteries and uh, if you'd like pop that up, David, if you'd be kind enough. See how you get your head around this. If you die before you die, then you won't die when you die. If you die before you die, then you won't die when you die. You got it? Oh, a few nods. Wonderful. Good, good. Yeah, wonderful. Disorienting as the sentence can be at first glance, it has the potential to unlock for us the heart of the Christian life. If we want to know the life of Christ, we must be willing to die. Not physically, but dying to our ego and the consuming desires of this world so that we live the way that Jesus teaches. A a motto like that or a statement like that encourages us to move to a different way of understanding. It is in the meaning of the Greek word metanoia, which we translate somewhat inadequately, as repentance. So we often say you've got to repent, you've got to stop doing that, repent, turn your way. But metanoia literally means having a new mind or coming to a different way of thinking. And so really even repentance is that I don't believe in God, no, I don't believe it's true, we see in the story as a fairy story, Uh, and then one day you look at it differently and something happens and you go, oh, my goodness, God, you are real. And that is that, that's that turning from the way you used to think to the way now you think that this, this God is real. Metanoia, changing the way we think. And, and it's so powerful because we get, you know, we, we, we get into a, a way of thinking and uh, we get off track. And then you look at it slightly, somebody comes along and says, have you seen it this way? 
You go, oh, my goodness, I never saw that. I mean, how many of us you know that uh, you're driving along, say, South Road, and you've, you've, uh, uh, you've got to go and get some curtains, and somebody tells you, oh, yeah, it's three-quarters of the way up on the left-hand side, and you've driven up South Road for, for, since you're a little, little tacker, and you say, oh, there's a shot. I've never seen it before. <laughs> it's only when you need it that <laughs> you see something. Anyway, so we look at this monastic meta, um, um, motto, and thank you. It's wonderful to see all the nodding heads. Sam, you should be very proud of your people, our people. Um, if you die, it's your ego self that dies. Before you die, so prior to the death of your physical body, then you won't die. Then your essence self or your spirit doesn't it, will not die when you die, when your physical body dies. It's interesting, isn't it, just to help us to think slightly differently. So briefly put then, we must let go of our ego self. And that's the battle, isn't it? The battle of the flesh, letting go thing and trying to live um, the way. The way, <laughs> uh, the true essence, self-essence will emerge and remain. That's what goes on into eternity, isn't it? Our self-essence, our essence, our spirit will never die. Many people are unaware of this, that there is another self and live only in the egotistical state. I did it my way. And I must admit I've been in that category. I give so much of myself to God, but not the whole. I'm not all in until recently. Until recently. There's a sense of, God, I'm so sorry that I've held back. I've held back. I'm all in. And that's it, it just makes such an amazing change. And many of you, you know that, and you're already well, well ahead of us. But Jesus was asked for a sign by the religious leaders that he really was the Messiah because that's what he was proclaiming. He was the one who would come to save them, but they didn't believe it. So even after the miracles that they'd seen and witnessed, Luke records Jesus' answer in chapter 11 of Luke. He said that only one further, he would only give them one further sign. He would give, the, and that what he would give them would be the sign of Jonah. Jonah gets swallowed three days in the belly, comes back from, virtually comes back from dead. This would be their final opportunity to be convinced. A wise theologian wrote that without the sign of Jonah, the pattern of new life only through death in the belly of the whale, Christianity remains a largely impotent theology, another way to win instead of the pain of faith. It or it becomes a language of assent, triumphalism. Bless me, God. I'm, rather than the pain of faith, instead of the treacherous journey of descent that characterizes Jonah, Jeremiah, Job, John the Baptizer, and Jesus, you descend to become great. After, after Jesus, we Christians use the metaphor the way of the cross. Though unfortunately it became what Jesus did to save us. Instead of the necessary pattern that is redempted for all of us. Jesus became the cosmic problem solver instead of the teacher of the way. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? You know, if Jesus are only our saviour, we've got our, you know, we've dealt with that, but he becomes then, oh, Lord, help me fix this. I need a car park. Lord, can you? He becomes, becomes the cosmic problem solver instead of the teacher of the path. So what is this path? 
And we know it's simply to follow Jesus, and we've been singing that this morning. Hence his teachings and his lifestyle, the distinctives of the eternal kingdom and its value. Look how Jesus lived and treated people, particularly the marginalised, the sick and the poor. This is the standard by which Jesus will judge us. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? His teaching was always to consider others rather than himself, to serve, not to be served. He is humble and gentle. The I am statements of Jesus is I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. This is the way into the eternal kingdom of God. It's not a political system. It's not an ideology or a set of doctrines or mantras to be believed or performed. It is through a relationship with a person. His name is Jesus. He is Lord. How does every generation of Christians overcome the world? How do we live? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony which means accepting the sacrifice of Jesus, his, uh, his blood sacrifice given for you, which cancelled out our sin, reconciles us to God, puts us into relationship with God. And if you have a personal, relation, uh, personal faith and relationship with Jesus, that is your testimony. So the summary. Remember the past, the acts of God's faithfulness and who he has created you to be. Remember... In the present, what purpose he's called you for? And remember the future, where he's taking you and what he's planned. Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. Challenge. If you, I don't know you all, but if you don't have certainty about your relationship with Jesus and your eternal destiny... I invite you to, call, to, to respond to Jesus' call today. He's calling you to come and follow him. I remember when I was challenged with that, my heart was beating so much I felt it was going to pop out of my chest. And God's speaking to you today. Then respond to him. Please, I invite you to come out, trust Jesus, and we'd love to pray with you and uh, tell, you, tell you a little bit more and help you to follow Jesus. If you've got a giant in your life, and we've all got those from time to time, and you want somebody to stand with you and pray, then come out the front. Coming out the front is not coming to, to a person, not coming to me. It's actually saying to God, I'm thinking about this. I actually, I actually want help. I'm actually prepared to put uh, wheels on my faith, actually to make it move. We'll sit here week after week, I'm fine, I'm fine. No, you're not. I'm not. <laughs> we, we do need to respond. Today is the day of salvation. Last week, Sam told us, it's easy to believe in God. Most of us sitting here do. But it's harder to believe God. <laughs> it's a great statement, Sam. I hope I got it right. <laughs> it is, it's harder, isn't it, to believe God, that there is actually action required, something. Jesus calls us to follow him. Give up your way. Follow his ways so that you can become all that he's planned for you. He has amazing plans. Kathy, if you'd like to come up, I asked her to sing a, a song um, which talks about uh, faithfulness, but really ought to be singing, I have decided to follow Jesus. And some of us that know the old hymn, so I'll sing it. If it's right, well, it is coming and getting ready.
I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. A bit high. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. What's the next verse? The world before me. The cross, no, the cross, the cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. I have decided to follow Greek. That was unfair to do that to you, wasn't it? All right, well, we'll sing your song. But that's, so please, as we're singing later, um, this is the day for you. It's a day to deal. Don't, don't leave this place today. If you've got giants in your world, then we're a family. We're here to love and support one another. Please, I invite you to pray. We don't have to... I mean, there is a back room, but I don't want people to, you know, come out. If you're dinking about that, it shows that you're, you really want to do business. If you don't know Jesus, if Jesus is um, talking to you today, please respond. You don't know what difference this will make in your life until you, you come and follow this beautiful man, Jesus. So I encourage you, please don't leave this place today without coming and talking to us. We're going to sing a song and then Wayne's going to close for us. God bless you. First, there's a person here who's got uh, in your left arm, uh, it's, it's about around the shoulder muscle, there's a joint like it's clicking, and there's pins and needles going down your hand. Anybody there identified with that? Put your hand up, please. So it's left arm. Thank you. All right, just um, can you just gather around? I've, your name has escaped me. I've got amnesia. Could we just gather around him, lay hands gently on that arm? I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that you have come, Lord, to, uh, to bring healing and wholeness to us. Father, in Jesus' name, I speak wholeness. You arm, you be made well. You come into divine order in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, can you do something that you couldn't do before? Would you know what 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 what's, what was the? Sorry, I should come down and I don't. I'm going to embarrass you. I won't do that. Would you come and tell me afterwards if see you know do something that you couldn't do before, and we'll see what happens. Now there's another person, right shoulder, like the again it's a clicking and it's in the joint of the right shoulder. Somebody res- respond to that. You're in pain. Lovely, Marguerite. <laughs> okay, um, gather around, dear Marguerite, at the back there. Lay hands on her in faith in the name of Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you for your healing, healing power. We speak wholeness to Marguerite. We speak wholeness into that shoulder. 
pain you go, you'll be restored in Jesus' name. Amen. And that's about as much as we have to pray, isn't it? We don't need long prayers. Jesus, heal. Thank you. We speak healing in Jesus' name. Let us know how it goes. Thank you. Sorry, um, Wayne, I think. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Um, it's, it's kind of interesting that it's sort of human nature that we can forget what God's done in the past and you know, what he's doing now, what he wants and what he's going to do in the future. And um, But he doesn't condemn us for that. Um, he, his, his desire is to always to bring us back to him and, and he, he does that through, like your words today, Mike, or through ceremonies like uh, the communion um, or through actually a whisper from the Spirit. So I, I just love the way that the, the Lord, yeah, just, just always wants to draw us back to him and just remind us and we can just see so many things that he has done and he's doing and we can just look forward to the future. So, yeah, really appreciate the word, Mike, trusting there's something we can all hold on to as we go into the week. Uh, Mike has challenged us. Uh, if there's anyone that wants to speak with him, he's going to stick around at the front here for a while. Uh, if you want to, to, him to pray with you or talk to you, about anything that um, yeah you've been prompted to speak to him about if you've come for prayer as well our prayer room is always is open uh, there's an opportunity now to just spend time together over a cup of tea or coffee as well uh, those online thanks for joining us um, as well and just yeah trust that um, yeah you'll just walk with the lord this week and just know know his encouragement and his blessing as well um, yeah thanks for being a part and, and that's it all the best thanks He has ransomed me, his grace runs.